0: Welcome to Best Picture. Now, here's your hosts, Andy Young and Colin McLaughlin.
1: I'm asking you to marry me, you little Oscar.
2: No, that's not a good The first one with the guests and you do a really, I don't think she, did you explain to her the bit as well? Or is it just like, why are you? Well, now
0: I've listened to Blank Check. That just sounds like a Blank Check bit.
2: Yeah, she
1: knows, it's a Blake check bit, and like, Andy, you should be thankful Dane is here, because I would have done the entire Manderly speech and just made you sit and awkwardly watch me as I did it, so I decided to do something a little bit shorter. That
2: is what I thought you were gonna do, though. I thought you were just gonna tank, like, the first time having a guest and just do the entire, like, opening of the movie, and just, like, sneak in.
1: Yeah, but I live to surprise you more than anything yeah. else because
2: yeah we that's uh why we set up a podcast to quell our election anxiety nerves and now it serves no purpose so we're, we're just two
0: oh, white yeah guys no like
1: everything's good the world's yeah. been fixed we yeah two, two white guys talking about movies that's never been done we before.
0: did it no not and and certainly not on the very podcast that we just <laughs> name checked
1: no not which i've name checked multiple times over the course of this show just because yeah. i feel like i don't know i owe them if we ever get reviews respect, that are like hey there was.
2: are other best picture related podcasts it's like well oh, we're aware uh it's fine uh yeah uh,
1: yeah I, I had to research all of their names so i knew i wasn't stealing anyone mm-hmm. when i did to this. find
2: the exact right one but uh why are we making fun of you for uh putting together this quote column
1: uh, because this is a podcast called Best Picture with Andy and Colin. It's a podcast about the Oscars, the Academy Awards, specifically the 92 and counting movies that have won the Academy Award for Best Picture, the context of their Oscar win, and the legacy of their Oscar. My name is Colin.
2: My name is Andy, and today we have a special guest.
1: Yeah, we have a guest.
0: That's awesome. Dana I- Schwartz is here. I'm incredibly happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
2: Thank you so much for joining uh I've looked at your credits. You're way too qualified to be on this podcast. Uh so I'm already excited about that.
0: But see, what you don't understand is I was just uh spending the afternoon on my phone. So this is a big step <laughs> up from what I would normally be doing. Oh my
1: gosh. Right, and you can do it both. But um I, I guess like <laughs> quick I mean, I don't know. Dana is a woman of words.
0: That's what they yeah. say, yeah.
1: Uh writer for Rescue, uh for Marvel Comics, uh She-Hulk on Disney Plus, the Noble Blood podcast. Books, including Choose Your Own Disaster, yeah, uh, k- kind of just everything, you know. Renaissance. Well, yeah, it does a little bit Thank of it all you. mediums.
0: I try to, yeah, a bit of comics, bit of regular books, bit of television. Yeah. Uh, as long as it's it's involving writing words in in certain orders, I've probably done it.
2: Someone who's exactly as busy and exactly as wealthy as uh, the DeWinters. So, uh, yeah, that'll be great. <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> I will say, I this will come later, but like. I, for my birthday this year, uh, everyone has had a birthday in, in quarantine, obviously. And uh, a friend of mine, like we set up like a really nice picnic and had like flowers and like I made scones and like we we had like a lovely like picnic out in the backyard. And one of my other friends saw the photos and she goes, oh my God, you look like this is Rebecca De Winter oh, wow. vibes. And to me, that is high <laughs> praise. I'm team Rebecca. This should come out later in yeah. the podcast. I'm team Rebecca of all course. the way. Huge fan of Rebecca. Uh, Mrs. The second Mrs. De Winter can go fuck herself, Rebecca, all day. Every I was gonna day. say
2: I like that you clarified, but then you went like hard into the la- the yeah. one lane.
0: Yeah, can you ambiguous. take one without the other? Can you be pro both of them in their own way? I, I am. I am pro both of them. I would never set women against each uh, other. Yeah, what ones. a
2: hard role it has to be, as we saw from Rebecca. Um, but that's so funny that you like. I love.
0: Women. I love both characters, but I love. I don't think Rebecca is a villain, and I would argue. I don't think Daphne du Maurier intended Rebecca to be interesting. a interesting.
2: Well, I'm definitely excited to talk about that. Neither
0: do, yeah, neither. I mean, like, she just, she wanted to fuck around and yeah. have fun. Also, can we talk about how, I mean, we will talk about this, but as a preview, her husband straight up murdered yeah. her and got away with it because he's wealthy, powerful, and white, and like rich and connected. And we're rooting for him to get away with the murder of his <laughs> wife. <laughs>
2: It's a very strange. I don't know. Like we've watched a couple of best picture movies now. Like I, I always return to All Quiet on the Western Front. Of like, wow, they really did get us to empathize with the German side of the army right after World War One. It's just really interesting to see them I
0: mean, do that. I mean, I'll make a more nuanced cases because it was your mistake of inviting me on the show <laughs> uh, about Rebecca, which is a, a movie <laughs> and a book of which I have uh, numerous feelings about. But I, I love Rebecca as a book and I love Rebecca as a as a film. And I think it's, uh, people think it's much more simplistic than it actually is. I think Daphne du Maurier was going for something incredibly complex and interesting, yeah. and Hitchcock saw that.
2: That's why people always say that I'm very, uh, I'm a very Miss Danvers is uh, what they say whenever they see me. They're just like, oh, <laughs> you're classic Mrs. Danvers, the way you, uh, you gaslight people <laughs> and you're mean to someone just because they're new. And um, well, I'm so yeah. And I'm Jack because there I drink go, too much. Exactly. Everybody finds one. Uh,
1: and Dana, when you say you love Rebecca as a film, you do, of course, mean the <laughs> recent 2020 version starring Lily James and everyone's favorite Hungry Boy.
0: Hungry uh. boy. Yes, a, a film that finally said, what if Rebecca was a boring romance? <laughs> yeah, what if like we took it and tried to yeah. make it sexy? What if it was uh, sexy and also boring and not feminist for some reason? How, somehow the, the one from the 30s is, or 40s is far yeah. more feminist than the one from 2020? How did that happen?
1: And we brought you on the show to make statements like that because I don't want recordings of me going around saying what is and what isn't <laughs> feminist. I'll, I'll declare what is and what isn't feminist.
0: Yeah. Don't worry. Perfect.
1: Thank you for your service. I, But I guess, Dana, to give you some context, just because Rebecca is kind of this linchpin movie for Andy and Maya's friendship and for the show like as a whole because we started this back in October when the Rebecca mm-hmm. remake was about to come out. And kind of the driving thought that led me to want to start doing this beyond just the desire to have a project to distract me from uh, (laughs) anything that was happening in October of 2020 was, was the idea of like, what does winning a best picture mean? Like Rebecca wins best picture in 1940. Like, does that give it any kind of status or like, this is now untouchable. And now here we are uh, 80 years later and they're remaking it. And then kind of at that same time, I know you were, I was reading the book for the first time because I've loved this movie since I first saw it uh, like seven years ago. I was reading the book for the first time, and I know you were reading it, I think also for the first time for a Pop yeah. Culture Book Club. Yeah. So I just made a note then like, when we do the Rebecca episode, I should reach out to Dana to see if she wants to do this.
0: Very sweet, yes. So me and uh, a group of uh, female friends uh, also doing a quarantine project, the now defunct, uh, unfortunately, Popcorn Book Club. Uh, we read Rebecca because of the new Netflix one coming out. We watched the old Rebecca and we watched the new one. And just to have all three of those uh, texts very close together and to talk about it with smart women uh was eye-opening one to to rediscover how sort of brilliantly subversive and feminist the original novel is but then to have people to uh validate the impression that the new one just totally missed the mark in a bunch of different ways yeah. All at once. and i think
2: this is like we're only 13 episodes in but i feel like this is going to be in our top five best picks. like we're ranking all of them as we go and i, I can't imagine this one getting knocked down anytime soon like it really is one of the best. best I characters.
0: love it. It's so su- subtle. I mean, the book itself. Have you you've read, both of you read, the, read book. the book? I have not read the book. I I've read the book. Oh, I think the book is brilliant, and I think the movie is brilliant in a different way. Like I think Hitchcock. There's so much being a young woman reading the book that is so subtle and internal in uh, the second Mrs. De Winter's uh, internal narration that I think no. I, I b- would argue that both a, a male director might not be able to do, and also it's hard to convey mm-hmm. visually, but he makes up for it with, you know, that Alfred Hitchcock guy knows how to direct a movie, and so it, it compensates in, in certain other ways. Mm-hmm. Sure.
2: That's a,
0: yeah, that
1: makes
2: a lot of good points.
1: And Andy, you know this, because when we first met, our friendship was in a large part cemented over a shared yeah. love of this movie, like this bros was, do. I was no. going to say
2: if uh, uh, my grandma, who is 80 seven years old the first movie she saw in theaters that wasn't like a kids movie was Rebecca and to this day uh which she saw when it first opened so she would have been six to this day it is still her all-time favorite film so growing up becoming a cinephile that was always the movie she brought me back to and really getting to see it from her eyes as this like six-year-old from or like this like just young kid from like a rural town who didn't know anything outside of like the small like a hundred people that she knew seeing this like unfathomable luxury. I don't know. Like, she's written about it a lot, but it's that's the big thing. That I always kind of, when I watch the movie, I try, I kind of still see it through her eyes. Yeah. She's, she's the best.
0: I love that.
1: And, and you, um, your Nana and me, share that in common because this is, bar none, my yeah. favorite
0: mm-hmm.
2: of it's, all time. It's, it's fantastic. I don't know if it's my all time favorite, but it's definitely in my top 10, 100%. It's,
1: you know, it's weird because it's like, I, I love Hitchcock. I wouldn't even go so far to say is this is like, in hitchcock's top five best movies i don't really even think it's the best of the movies that were nominated for best picture this Mm. year
0: Mm. but
1: this is my favorite movie of all time and i love it so much and it just i don't know it just like it speaks to all of the things that i like want emotionally out of a movie and i don't know it calms my anxiety just for like those two hours and 10 minutes that it runs because it's a movie about at least among other things the fear of what other people are saying about you when you're not in the room, which is something that just hangs over me every single second of every single day.
0: And also, I think it's it's one of the most succinct movies about the limitations of being a woman. I think Mrs. Danvers makes this incredibly clear. The book, it's explicit. If Rebecca, the person, had been a man, none of this would have happened. It's only because her creativity was limited to this sort of a social paradigm that she's trapped in and the same, you know, social structure that the second Mr. Winter struggles mm-hmm. with so much. I mean, this is a, such a, it's a it's a really intimate story about you know a young woman falling in love or what she imagines love to be. But it's also a really subtle story about gender and class. That the more you watch it, I think, the more you Absolutely, get. Out especially of
2: compared it. to watching it, it's and the fact a modern day one, which didn't feel like it had touch on <laughs> yeah, any it's just of that. We're so at the hotel for so no. long. Um,
0: also, they, they they just are like, what if this was just a flat love yeah. story? Well, yeah. it's never supposed to be a love story. It's about a a young woman falling into a relationship with an older, powerful man because she has no other options. And he sort of, after being in this relationship with a powerful, domineering woman, wants to be with like a meek, someone, no one who will challenge exactly. him at all. like. It's not a, a a love story amongst mm-hmm. equals. And you
2: never see, feel like the specter <laughs> of Rebecca or I've, even just like uh, like how haunting like this image was to me as a child and even to this day. Like, you never feel, to go, they came together with it. You never feel like Manderlei is a character, really. I don't know.
0: No, and you never feel like that she's haunted by Rebecca. It's like what? She's haunted by like kind of wearing a frumpy <laughs> dress?
2: <laughs> it's funny. It's like we had a lot of notes on the costume design of this movie. Colin especially.
1: <laughs> yeah, the... Well, I mean, I mean, that's when I knew we were in trouble with the remake, when they showed the trailer and were very clearly trying to get Crimson Peak vibes oh. and make you think, like, that this was an actual ghost story, which, like, you could call this a ghost story for sure, but it is literal in terms of the ghost in the sense of, like, the memory of the person that hangs over everyone.
0: I'm a Crimson Peak apologist. I think Crimson Peak is beautiful and aesthetically great. Like, I'm, I know it's not a good movie, but I'm still a Crimson Peak apologist. I'm just going to say... Was mustard the only color that Army Hammer would permit What's himself to wear? What's Anderson looking motherfucker
2: with that suit? It was crazy.
1: Oh. <laughs> oh. It just... Oh my god! It felt like you, you know. It this was funny, weird tangent, but I was watching the 2018 Robin Hood movie with Taron Egerton and Jamie Fox and thinking that that movie looks like it was outfitted by H&M just with like the henleys that they had guys wearing in the year 1000 AD and I had that exact same thought watching the Rebecca remake same costumer.
0: Mm. That makes of a lot course. of sense. Of course. Can I also Please. Horrible costume. If you're gonna have him wear a mustard suit, don't have him wear it multiple times. Once is punishment enough. He kept enough.
1: wearing it. He ah. needs to think about mustard wherever he goes because he's a hungry boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't. I, I shouldn't be joking about it, but it's it,
0: very funny. Yeah. It is. Can very I also funny. say, Definitely. if we're talking about the uh, 1940s Oscars, mm-hmm. Rebecca, I, I'm I'm pivoting Please. a tiny bit, but Rebecca was nominated against another wife murder movie called All This in Heaven Too. And I don't know if you've seen it or know anything no, about it. No, I'm not it. familiar with that
2: one.
1: No.
0: Betty Davis. Uh, it's actually based on a, a real murder case about a, a, a French aristocrat who murdered his wife because he was having an affair with his uh, nanny. Uh, but it's told sort of like a love story. And I did an episode uh, about uh, that actual scandal for my podcast, Noble Blood, which is... I, this is a, a pivot and I'm pitch I'm. Uh, name dropping. No, it's a a plug at the end of the episode. It's a plug. (laughs) No, plug. I know I'm plugging throughout, but it is fascinating. I had had no idea. A weird coincidence that it was happened to be nominated against. And it's another story about a wife murdering about a, a husband murdering his Mm -hmm. wife. But the primary love story is the murder husband with someone else. And in both uh, versions, the, the husband is presented, I believe way too, uh, Favorably. Interesting. I mean, this was which... a really stra-
2: stacked year for Best Pictures for sure. I mean, it's like yeah, Grapes of Wrath, uh, Great Dictator, uh, Philadelphia Story. I'm I'm a big like I wish more comedies were nominated for Oscars kind of guy. So it was really nice to see uh the Philly story and Great, uh, Great Dictator, Ta- Dictator oh, get yeah. so much love, even though it didn't win anything. It was nice to see like okay, it got all the big nominations, which was nice.
1: Yeah, I liked Philadelphia Stories. Presence, just as kind of George kukor's redemption from getting fired off of Gone with the Wind after the hell that was that whole thing. Mm-hmm. But like this whole I, year, good.
0: I know that I'm supposed to like like Gone with the Wind as a film. I have never, even content aside, which is again something you should never say because it's like very mm-hmm. racist. I just find it a, such a boring oh, yeah. movie. Where were, yes. where were
2: you
1: last Dana. week? That's what we yes. were. Yes. Oh my God! It's the big thing it's we were talking four about. Four hours in the last two hours are people in fucking rooms. Yeah,
0: and I find it even as a child, like and like a nerd, like I'm talking the not like child, like high school when I'm like, oh, I want to watch all the great right. films, mm-hmm. and I like wanted to like it because I thought like, oh, it's good. I found it so yeah. boring, and that's like. It, Again, a thing you should never say is racism aside, but racism aside, it's not a good <laughs> no, movie. No, exactly. Even if you were
2: able it... to put the blinders on that, which we did try to, we were like, okay, well, we understand why this was not one best picture because it's this like, huge epic. It's based on this incredibly popular book. Like it checks That was all also the... very racist. Yeah, that was another... I mean, <laughs> I will give Rebecca so this. Bad. It was very refreshing to see uh, house servants that weren't in blackface or uh, uh, st- <laughs> uh, stereotypical uh, portrayals of African Yeah, that is... So, I'll give Rebecca well, yeah. that.
0: Genuinely... A tiny, a tiny yeah, something.
1: We're, but... we're still in this era of the Oscars where it's almost, like, thankful when there are no yeah. characters of color because at least, like, you don't have to see Hollywood's shitty depiction of them I know. at that time, as you sure they would have You time. can't take it with Which me, is a terrible thing to say, say, but... I
2: loved it so much, and then it's just like, oh, you just fall on your face, like, on the easiest uh, kick. It's just, uh, you know. But, it, I, yeah. It, it's, it's hard. <laughs> but, you can't say, like, racism aside, this was a fun, funny movie, but... That's again why we're talking about the pictures.
1: Yeah, and racism aside, like Gone with the Wind is billed as this great epic romance, and it's an incredibly bleak movie with very cynical views on love and romance. And Rebecca is kind of part two of that, where like it does get billed as this, you know, sweeping love story. And the content of the movie is so dark. It's so cynical. These characters are broken by the end of it. It's so like a romantic that I don't know. It's like the way that movies get. Remembered in the reputation and how that's so different from what the movie is is so fascinating to me. Mm.
0: Well, here's why the introduction of the the book is so brilliant, which features uh, re- the second Mrs. De Winter and uh, Maxim, sort of like in this no man's land of being stuck at a hotel after Manderley (spoiler alert) burned down. They have nowhere to go, and they're just sort of trapped yeah. in this boring, dull existence. It's like a prison. And I think that that's really why Daphne de Maurier never thought of Rebecca as a romance, and thinks that like people who thought of it as a romance were like completely misguided because it's about two like kind of not bad but and not tacky but like whatever the opposite of Rebecca is that like charisma, sophistication, joie de vivre, like two just like
2: dull yeah, people, like very shallow and like broken and alive.
0: shallow, yeah. dull, fine, nice maybe, but dull people. Mm-hmm. And then they're trapped in this sort of meaningless, boring existence. Like, it, ended, it's not a happy ending for no. them. They end in purgatory.
1: Yeah. Like It picks up that the only thing that made Maxim interesting was the existence of Manderly. And with Manderly gone, he is kind of nothing. Yeah.
0: And to, to even go further than that, the only reason he's even interesting because of Manderly is because Rebecca made Manderly. Yeah. That it was like a shithole house before Rebecca came house and she's cool and knows how to decorate and made it an amazing, interesting house. And, uh, he, yeah, there's nothing cool or interesting about him. And now it ends with two polite, dull people trapped in purgatory forever. She, if you, the beginning of the book, um, I'm fully ranting now. I apologize so much. That's why we're all here. The, the start of the story and the end of the story are totally parallel with the this young second Mrs. De Winter being a paid companion to someone wealthier and more powerful than her in a hotel somewhere. And the end of the book has her in the institution of marriage, but more or less a paid companion to an older, powerful person. Yes, Maxim is you know nicer to her than the, uh, Woman who I who's very funny who I can't remember the the rich woman the American woman uh, Miss Van Hopper Miss mm-hmm. Van Hopper yeah Maxim is maybe like a, a better companion but the second Mrs De Winter's position isn't really too materially different which I think is is a smart and subtle point that uh, Daphne du Maurier is making about the limitations on women where you if you are the type of person who wants to live a big life like Rebecca you're going to end up dead, or you can sort of choose to live a, a small, safe life. And it's almost like
1: in a lot of, in many, many ways, uh, Mrs. Van Hopper is preferable to Maxim because at least, like, she's mean, but at least she tells the, uh, the narrator exactly what she wants and what to do, whereas Maxim has all of these expectations, mm-hmm. but won't express any of them. He'll just get mad when she steps out of line, but he hasn't given her any indication of what he actually wants from.
2: Yes! Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, the painting thing, which is my favorite part of the movie, could be so easily avoided if it would just like been a little more clear of like that's my dead wife. Don't do that.
0: Oh yeah! If if they had a one single, I think um, Daniel uh, Lavery, who the formerly of the Toast, wrote this brilliant uh, article about like the the sequel to Rebecca that the second Mrs. De Winter deserves. That's basically like. Hey, about that. Why didn't you just have one single conversation with me about hating your dead (laughs) wife? So I didn't always feel like I'm like in her shadow perpetually. While you're like silent, and I'm begging for a single meal with you. (laughs) Like he didn't have the one conversation that they really coming back from the honeymoon. Quick
2: P.S. about my my previous wife.
0: Yeah,
1: (laughs) and that's especially more prescient in the 1940 movie because unlike the book in the 2020 version, he doesn't shoot. Mm Yeah.
0: Well, that's like Haywood codes, right? Well, it, it,
1: I've been trying to figure that out because that's the conventional wisdom. But uh, so the Criterion Collection, the David O. Selznick Collection, has a lot of uh, Selznick's memos with Hitchcock. And while, um, so while Selznick was shooting Gone with the Wind, Hitchcock was overseeing the writing of the screenplay for this movie. And Selznick was furious at the first draft because Hitchcock basically changed everything to fit in line with what he wanted from a movie. And so there's this rambling memo from Selznick about like all the stuff he needs to change back. And he pointedly says he doesn't think there needs to be a changing of the murder scene because he thinks he can get away with it. So that would imply that Hitchcock did it. Selznick tried to push it and then the code might have made him stick it and uh, change it anyway, which is so weird to me because the Hitchcock, like in terms of like what we know about Hitchcock, especially now, the Hitchcock version of this movie is Maxim does shoot her, Mm -hmm. but... He goes to jail at the end.
2: Mm, like, he much.
1: does become the true villain. And it's very... And I guess just for context for the people listening, like, the uh, the production code at the time dictated that uh, an act of spousal murder had to be punished, either by having the character be dead at the end of the movie or be arrested. So yeah. that is why they had to change it in the book and in the 2020 version. He does shoot Rebecca after being... Okay, you could say she goaded him into it, but he also pulled the trigger... In this movie, she trips and hits her head.
2: Have they ever said, dies. like, why they changed uh, the ending? Because, again, I hadn't read the book, but seeing the movie, it was strange. Uh, the new movie it was strange to me because when they, I always am used to it ending at Manderlei. Well, there's a lot of problems with the new ending, but uh, it was really interesting to see, like, an afterwards to that. I am curious, like, is there a reason that they didn't include it in the Hitchcock version?
1: I Well, the Hitchcock version also extends upon the ending because the, the, book, uh, the book does have, because it's being narrated by her, it does have, like, references to where they're at now. Like Dana said, they're just in the shitty little hotel. I see. But the book actually only ends with them coming back from Maxim, I guess, like, getting acquitted... And it just ends with him seeing the smoke of Manderley
2: but, on the horizon.
0: But it but it begins with them at the Shitty Hotel. Oh, interesting. Yes.
2: Okay, that's why I was the book. Okay, so yeah.
0: that's why it, it the pacing is a little different, yeah. but it the end I mean the ending is ostensibly the sure. same. Sure.
1: So okay. yeah, like Mrs. Danvers' fate is left up to question, I think, in the book because it does you don't get that scene of seeing her try to escape the house as it's burnt down.
2: Interesting.
0: No, I kinda like thinking that she went down with the i ship. do too that's like yeah
2: that was the biggest like i tried to be as nice as i could to the 2020 version but that was the biggest like like it's so haunting to see her just in that window shot like i'll just never forget watching that for the first time even on just like my nanny's like shitty vhs player or whatever it's just like there's just so much power into that and then to just like it's almost like watching like what the original titanic ending was it just like feels like a yeah. completely different mm. shift and it really just changes how you feel about the movie because like watching the old one this time, I feel like I was paying a lot more attention to Mrs. Danvers than I have in previous, uh, watches. Especially like her relationship with the ghost. This is
1: her second movie. This is mm-hmm. Judas Anderson's second movie performance. Oh my uh, god, which
0: it's brilliant! I always only she Academy had won Award for nomination. It. No, yeah. her
1: only Academy Award nomination is for this movie. I had always assumed I, she uh,
0: won
2: for this, and I was surprised. No, that, which may, it makes sense the Gone with the Win. Or yeah, take two. It makes sense that the uh. Good. I couldn't remember it—the John Ford and movie and that we all rat. had to read in school. Grapes of Wrath. Grapes of Wrath. It makes sense that that lady won.
0: I just think it's—she, uh, it, Mrs. Danvers is such a brilliant, nuanced female character mm-hmm. that I feel like even today we rarely get. Like her villainy is so anchored and fun and interesting, and like her love and loyalty to Rebecca. Like I love someone who's not all good and all bad. Yeah. Like, she is. Mm-hmm objectively a bad person but it comes from this kind of like place of just like obsession like romance semi-romantic obsession with rebecca that's so fun to me yeah
2: i mean she was literally with her since she was like a baby it's just like to have that that's just a relationship you can't have even with a marriage to have been with someone that long yeah um yeah that's definitely a big thing i like anchored on this time
1: and she also like has you know her firm like stratified place within the social like economic structure but also is kind of placeless because she was rebecca's uh, made like she was Rebecca's yeah. person and with Rebecca gone like okay it's everyone tells uh the narrator that like it's so nice that Maxim lets her stick around because she like yeah. literally would have nowhere else to go mm-hmm.
0: it's also insane that they made the ch- it was so misguided with the the new movie I'm sorry to to keep harping on it but I, I have a lot of things I want to go no. back
2: to it, so not at all were they
0: like we like oh let's make it feminist by like empowering the second mrs de winter and it's like okay well way to undermine the entire point of the yeah. book which is that the society has forced this woman to like be so insecure and not be able to voice any one of her opinions which is like a relatable thing and having her be like sassy right up front is like what the hell are you doing what is the point of this movie? and she like
2: passes the buck to that like sweet little like mousy uh, yeah. maid like for like the big Thing is, just like whoa, the, no, it's this was you. It's supposed to be you doing this. It's just, uh, yeah, there's so many little things. So it like that that was so misguided. <inaudible> the and whole the tone the shift whole is so pol- weird in the movie too, which you don't even feel. Yeah, oh. a you know, lot, of stuff, lot it, of stuff. I mean, all of it. <laughs> it. But the
0: whole the whole feminist point of the book is like, this is what society does to women. Like, this is their expectations, where it's like these are the limitations on them, and taking that away for like their pseudo girl power moment was very misguided Well, let me
2: ask you this because uh, you brought up a good point earlier of just i feel well i feel like ben wheatley was a very strange choice uh, as a director for the remake but I, yeah how, I, yeah well, i mean there, there's a lot of stuff we could say. so i found that, like, something out okay. today um, oh. about
1: ben wheatley so he had the same writer on all of his movies except for rebecca totally oh, different which is like i just feel like you know i don't know what conversations were had i just think that
2: And I think he didn't cut it, because I know he's cut on, like, most of his other movies.
1: Well, that's kind of... I mean, that's what pisses me off about the Netflix of it all. Like, I would probably buy that Blu-ray just to watch the special features and, like, get Ben Wheatley's, like, take on all of it. But because it's straight to streaming, and, you know, we're not going to get the Criterion version of that movie, all of, like, that information is just kind of behind, like, closed doors. And, like, the movie... I mean, it should tell us everything about how poorly that movie probably did, that they're not positioning it as an oscar player right mm-hmm.
0: oh that would be a hilarious <laughs> yeah but like if, if that movie had done it at
1: all well on um, by netflix's standards they would be putting it up there with like there the would five still be buds. the billboards and stuff yeah they would still be trying to get some attention for it that we'll might be make... just it came and went it is gone
0: i mean i love rebecca mm-hmm. like i love rebecca i love period pieces big army i am sexually attracted to army hammer Same. i love lily james we all are in a i should sort have of, I should have been the target audience for that, and I hated it, so well, they really whiffed that. Well, I'm glad nope. you said...
2: So, well, I, was just, I, I just wanted to ask, because, like, uh, again, Ben Lee was a very strange choice for director. Army Hammer as well. Uh, but, like, who would have been a better director choice, do you guys think, if they were going to remake it? Because, obviously, there's the answer, the like, co- don't make it at all, but... Dana made a Greta point of like, we didn't have a female director for the 1940s version. Greta Gerwig, and not yeah. just
0: because she's, like, the main female director of the moment, but because Lady Bird was so good at showing, like, an insecure woman, like, an, a girl who's insecure, but putting on a show of confidence, yeah. which is very important to Rebecca. And Little Women was such a fresh, modern adaptation of of a, a classic book of literature yeah. that I would love to see her take on. This. I would love to see no, a Lynn Dana, a Little, one. But... Ti- Little Women. Little Women was confusing. It
1: had too many Little Women too many timelines. I couldn't <laughs> follow. Really too
0: many days. timelines. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. like the the people who jerk off to. to My favorite movie is Pulp Fiction, <laughs> but yeah. I couldn't follow yeah. uh, Little Women.
1: Um, I was. I, I Why was didn't thinking... Little
2: Women go backwards? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, little Women presented uh, set in the tenant unit. They should have that. just gone people, through the backwards hole Everything would have been different um, The um, fact
0: that people like love Interstellar And it's like oh I can't figure out because of like A girl cut her hair Whether we're jumping forward and backwards in time It's like context clues motherfucker
2: I, think I liked the intercutting it was a little jarring to me Just from coming from like the first movie But again I like when directors take a movie And they try to do something original and different With it and that's why it's like I, I feel like Ben Wheatley tried to Keep his shoes a little too much into like okay this is what the movie done before without totally realizing what made the movie great um it's also
0: like has he read the book yeah. did he understand it Has I he mean, met a, woman? I mean, he met a, a woman? woman like
2: major red flag he said in an
1: interview that well people thought it was the kind of thing i wouldn't normally do and so i thought that was a good reason to do the movie which is a terrible reason to do a movie
2: it's like the six degrees of separation thing where will smith is like uh, my dad wanted to make cats and everyone told him not to and he it, made cats uh,
1: the whole movie feels to me like Tomb Raider 2 hit like a development snag. And they had a couple, they had like nine months that he could do something else. And so they slotted him in for that. Wow.
0: It also felt like someone told him that Rebecca was a love story. And so he's like, oh, I guess I make right. this a love story. Mm-hmm. Even though it's not. and it never has been. You never you really s- feel
2: the anxiety or like the menacing like thing of like coming to this like huge place like a total fish out of water. It's just like. I think that's the biggest thing. Like when we finally pull up to Mandalorian, I don't I don't feel anything. It just feels like you know, like they had a B unit like pick up those shots. When it's like this is again like one of the most beautiful like sweeping shots I've ever seen.
0: That's why the 1940 version is so brilliant. I think like that shot. It's like because Alfred Hitchcock is great at like foreboding menace, Mm -hmm. and that's that he's he's really good at that. In the
2: eye, you know. Oh man.
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: The shot of Joan Fontaine just, like, seeing Manderley for the first time and, like, not really even being able to process its vastness. Yeah. Like, that's the best shot in the movie to me. Mm -hmm. And in the 2020 version, it's just like, oh, we're in the car and look at that colorful big house. It's nice. Like, it's, it just misses the mark. So much on the.
2: Like I was. Just Andy, I was. Having, in shoes.
0: Yeah. She's having the time of her life with her yeah. new husband. Yeah. <laughs> he,
1: he puts sand on her back. It's very romantic.
2: Yeah. Ooh, so sexy. I'm glad we didn't have like a whole like honeymoon sequence set to like I'm walking on sunshine or anything like that. I'll <laughs> give him like again like if we're really lower in the bar, uh, post-trump And then era. the
0: end of the end of the movie is them being like sexy and in love, being like, "We'll search the world for our new home." Like what? Yeah. Who are you? Let's revel <laughs> in this not... a
2: minute, like. A lot yeah, of stuff happened.
0: Your husband just murdered his wife, and you're okay with that. <laughs> Relax. Oh
2: my God. Take a beat. But again, even on like the casting stuff, it's like I think we had talked about like uh, when we were we watched I watched with uh, Colin and his wife, and we had talked about like maybe like John Hamm would have been an interesting one. But the, after rewatching the old one, I think the biggest casting thing for me is Jack. Like it just doesn't. I'm like George Sanders. Like yeah, like he just has this like commanding voice. Like I understand. Like if he was my cousin, I would I. I'm not I I'm, I'm just saying. But it's just like I don't think no disrespect to Sam Riley, I just don't think he was the right casting choice, you know. Oh my god, Sanders
0: is is the perfect casting choice. Yeah. I also think I love Army Hammer and uh, Lily James individually. Yeah. Um although that movie sure did make me question uh them as movie yeah. stars, but I think the biggest casting mistake was doing a thing that Hollywood rarely does, which was not Uh, leaning into the age difference which i think is so important yeah that's so wild dynamic she's 31
1: and he's 34
0: a non-entity where i think this is the rare case where hollywood can and should have done the thing they love to do which is cast someone 20 years younger Mm -hmm. you need a woman who's 19 Mm -hmm. and a man who's 40 like that this is the one case where that like power dynamic really reinforces the point of the, the film. Yeah,
2: Like again, even at like my favorite scene is still uh, just like the party where everything goes down. And I did like the choice of seeing a, it as a much bigger affair of a party. And there were like yeah. certain choices I liked about the remake, but it's still like, you don't feel like that, like menace of like when they're standing next to each other. It's just, you don't feel like that, like small, like I'm sorry. again, I'm a 30 a year old man. Like I cannot speak to the experience of being a woman in that type of relationship. But at least I can Or a kind woman of see in any relationship, Andy. I know, but look, I'm not You ra- never like,
0: you never you never feel that Lily James feels as out of place exactly. as she should.
2: All sexism aside. No, it's exactly you never feel that like that she feels not trapped, but that she feels like confined to like trying to like walk on eggshells and really like make this thing work, which again I is what I something I really like about uh Rebecca itself, because you feel that.
0: And she shouldn't be like She never. You never get the sense that Lily James is thinking like, "Oh, I don't belong." Like he took me because you know he felt sorry for me because I'm never going to measure up to Rebecca. Mm -hmm. When it's like, yeah, he did choose you because you're never going to measure up to Rebecca, just for a different reason than you originally thought. So true. Also, one one choice that I didn't love about the party scene in the 2020 version Mm -hmm. is the, the just choice to have. To throw all subtext out the window and have the party goers chanting Rebecca.
2: (laughs) That was like a slow shot, like the. If I remember correctly, they're doing like the sweeping around, like circle, like kind of shot, right? They're just like
0: Rebecca, Rebecca. In case you forgot, the thing that she's supposed to be worried about.
2: Lord, I can. Oh my gosh, that's so true. That's so true.
0: Remember, that's that's it. I was uh, forcing you to reminisce.
1: I was thinking going into the twenty twenty version that the only move that movie really had to distinguish itself and i'm not saying i think they should, like this was a good decision but i think it's the only thing they could do is to stunt cast rebecca and have like a scene where like some A list actress does one flashback scene and they actually show Maxim
2: shooting. I, yeah, I, that w- I kept that betting with Colin's life. I was like, I'm telling you, man, we're gonna see spooky ghost Rebecca. Like this is like the big change they're gonna. It's going yeah, it's gonna away. be
1: Emma Stone or someone that they got to come in for like a day just yeah. to be like, oh shit, that's Rebecca. In instead, you just see her back as she runs away in a red dress a lot. Oh my god.
0: Honestly, the worst, the worst of both worlds, yeah. right? Because on one hand, you never want to see just like. By seeing actual Rebecca, you take away her power. So seeing even that person in a red dress running away, you're like, well, that automatically diminishes her power because now she's effable. She's she's human. She's tangible. Yeah. Uh, but h- hypothetically, if someone were to make the point of like using an A-lister's power as a stunt cast, I would be like, okay, I see what you're trying to do. But just having it be like an anonymous back of the head, I think you... you Get the worst of both worlds
2: yeah it takes away that power from hearing all of these different stories of like this was Rebecca no this was Rebecca no this was Rebecca and then the audience it's like that classic Jaws Blair Witch of it all of like the thing we don't see is like the, the amalgam that we create in our heads and we get to do it yeah through characters instead of even just seeing like the characters back ahead it's like okay well that's already like dipping into my own expectations of like who this character was physically as a living they being. made her
0: they made it's like oh so she's a perfume ad that's what <laughs> she is <laughs> Oh, she's an ad for Dior. They went on Shutterstock
2: and just pulled some uh, pulled mm-hmm. some stuff to use. <laughs> Have either
1: of you all seen uh, the Burberry short film commercial that Mark Romanek did with uh, Donald Gleason and mm-hmm. Sienna Miller? Yeah,
0: I know, but I love Donald well, Gleason. Love yeah, Mark Dana,
1: number one, check it out. Best movie of 2016. Fantastic. Okay. it's like it's like a Done. it's like two minutes, and it's like this silent like movie about like the origins of Burberry and Donald Gleason (laughs) plays Thomas Burberry and like Dominic. Yeah. Dominic West is in there doing stuff. It's crazy. But like this move, like the 2020 version is like the feature length of that almost Mm -hmm. where it's just like immaculately designed like costumes and people kind of casting glances at each other.
2: Yeah. The other one I'm remembering is like, which I remember like from the like jump we were talking about when we watched it together was when we see, uh, uh, Mr. DeWithers, in the first uh, in the in the first movie, it's like he's about to jump off a cliff, or he's like looking longingly the ocean. And this Yo. one, it's just like we don't get any of that. It's like the longing look across like the hotel lobby or something like that, right? Is it the first time yeah. they see each other? It's just they, even those little things. It just it to- totally changes what the movie is.
0: They made him flat, and they made her flat. They turned her into like, and I don't use this word lightly because of like the whole like Star Wars discourse, but they did turn her into like a Mary Sue sure. in the worst way. And they turned him into, like, just a generic, like, Hallmark movie heartthrob, mm-hmm. which is not at all what it should be. Yeah.
1: I feel like if the script was, like, actually good and it had, like, a real... Like, like I mean, Andy, to way, go way back to your question, I would have said Karen Kasama for this movie. Ooh. Oh, interesting. Like, when you just look at, good, like, The Invitation.
2: Sure. If I didn't get it in, I thought Lynn Ramsey would have been a good one.
1: Well, oh, well Lynn Ramsey should direct everything, if you ask me. But, like, also good. I, I kind of feel like if all the elements are in place... The role of Maxim is kind of like the role that Leonardo DiCaprio, both intentionally and unintentionally, was born to play at this point in his life.
0: Yes! Oh, my God! That would have been so good! Like, dates Teen? It's like, yeah. Yeah, it's like you put
1: him with, like, Natalie Dyer or somebody,
0: like... (sighs) What he's already doing! Uh, Oh, my God, that would have been so good! Oh, my God, a a Leonardo DiCaprio now who's so good at, like, being a little... Hot, but, like, a little menacing? Yeah. yeah. With like um, a twenty-year-old actress, and it would have been genius. Have been. What about? I thought
2: the. uh I was just gonna say the Danvers was okay, but I don't know. I I couldn't think of off of the top of my head someone who I would have replaced her with. I liked. She her was
0: the only good part of this for yeah, me.
2: Like I thought she was pretty good, but again, it. I'm not thinking of it days later like I do any time I watch. Um,
0: I uh, mean, the suicide the I thought was insane. Dumb. Absolutely insane. Oh yeah. It, <sighs>
1: It's like they said, okay, so she burned to death in the original, so we will do the exact opposite and have her drown in this instance.
0: What if if it was uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Saoirse Ronan? Yeah, oh I can see that. Direc- directed by Gretegar. Oh, oh my
2: gosh, Margot Martindale is the lady that she works
0: with. that
1: changed. Yeah, like... Andy ruined. Uh, <laughs> oh. and we, we we watched the movie together a, a couple days ago, and Andy ruined and Dowd for me because he said oh, it's Margot Martindale, right? And I'm like, well, now I'm just gonna be thinking in every scene. What if this was Margot Martin?
2: yeah no which is what yeah. I, th- I thought I she mean, had been well, cast like before like when i think of this movie i'm like oh they'll cast margot martin that's the part for i mean
0: yeah. i mean ann dowd was great she is no disrespect the missus the mrs danvers in my new sir sharon and leonardo dicaprio version is leslie manville okay okay is my Dan? is my danvers because i think she plays the danville's role in phantom thread i Ooh. feel like that was an intentional yeah. choice
1: because like It's weird that they remade this movie because the last decade has kind of given us two spiritual remakes of Rebecca, Crimson Peak and Phantom Thread, which like Phantom Thread is kind of doing the absurdist comedy version of Rebecca and Crimson Peak is doing like, okay, what if Rebecca, but like there are real ghosts, you know?
0: Yeah. And I love Phantom Thread because that's the only way to make this a love story that works is to make them both demented and, you know, like
2: a truly toxic yeah. relationship yeah
0: yeah That's- like a literal toxic relationship that then um, that then uh cancels out how toxic the relationship is <laughs>
2: i feel like we've spent way more time talking about the remake but by talking about the remake i feel like it helps showcase like how good the original
0: best picture yeah from
1: mutiny on the bounty i watched three fucking versions of that movie and we split that pretty evenly between the three so i think that's totally fine um
0: i think you're totally right i think by pointing out what the the old the new one does poorly it's just reinforcing like what a clever yeah. tightrope walk uh hitchcock did because again like have you yeah. oh good Oh, please, no.
2: Oh, I was just going to say the big thing that strikes out to me, and maybe it's because like I read the thing and it's like, oh, it did win Best Cinematography, is just how great the cinematography is. It's something I always love about Hitchcock's movies, Most m- much for what you said of just like the storytelling aspect of it, of how he directs our lens. Uh, and there's just so much of that in this movie that I feel kind of goes unnoticed. But, you know, again, that's what good cinematography does. The um, exteriors
1: of Manderley are actually very uh like it's not very tactile like they kind of have the front facade of the building but the rest of it is all matte paint which i think Mm -hmm. like is another thing that distinguishes it from the 2020 version where that movie feels very tactile and it feels like well we can do this in color as opposed to the black and white version we need to make it colorful Mm -hmm. but in this one like the mansion kind of feels endless and dreamlike because they're literally drawing it out to like the ends of the frame as much as they can
0: yeah that's fascinating now I want to re-watch it uh-huh. have you guys seen have you guys seen um, any Mitchell and Webb uh, I don't think so I don't, I'm not sure I'm familiar so Mitchell and Webb are a, a British comedy duo and they have this great sketch about where one of them pretends to be Selznick and he's like oh well I remember when, when Hitchcock came to me and he said I'm doing this film about Rebecca and I said great who do you want to play Rebecca and he says <laughs> get this nobody and I said no uh, Hitch, this is America now. If you have a film called Rebecca, audiences want to see a dame named Rebecca. So they they do a sketch where it's, the entire thing is Rebecca, but it's the second Mrs. De Winter is Rebecca, and she's haunted by the husband being like, "No, that's where my second wife will sit."
2: Where they do it in the future tense? That's incredible. What is she's that, like? Has all the ingredients of in my favorite sketches, Mrs. Danvers is, is like specific.
0: nope. That's so so nice. Mrs Danvers goes, nobody goes in the East Wing yet. <laughs> and she and I'm I'm Mrs Danvers or I'm Mrs De Winter for now.
2: What a niche specific film! So I cannot wait to watch. That, that is film. It's I'm gonna watch. so
0: niche. Um, it's so good.
2: That's on my you, list. I love it. You
1: gave us a nice transition there, though, yeah. Dana, because I do want to talk about uh, Hitchcock a little bit. Um,
0: are you a big Hitchcock person, Dana? I think the the normal amount of Hitchcock. Sorry, my, okay. my cat Beetlejuice just jumped up right behind me.
2: What's up? Oh. Hi Beetlejuice! Hi Beetlejuice! Hi Beetlejuice! I be- yep, it works. Um, I,
0: I I really do like Hitchcock. I'm missing yeah. I'm missing a I'm missing a few of his, but I've seen the big the big ones.
1: He directed like 80 movies, so that's yeah. Yeah, that's okay.
2: Um I've seen a lot of them including like the ones he did before he came to America and it's interesting seeing like the difference cool. of like 39 Steps uh 39 Steps or like The Lodger or whatever to like he, comparing to this one. So
1: yeah, that's just what I wanted to mention. So he was a big shot in England where he directed mm-hmm. the first uh British talkie, a movie called Blackmail. He did The 39 Steps which became the biggest the highest-grossing British movie of all time at the time and then he beat his own record in 38 with The Lady Vanishes. And so when Selznick kind of made a big splash out of like, I'm bringing Hitchcock to America and he's going to do Rebecca. It was this big deal, which is weird to think about because back then, like Hollywood was not nearly as director obsessed as it is now. Like it was a notable thing that Alfred Hitchcock was coming to make American movies. And I feel like it wasn't auteur tour obsessed. Yeah. Which is kind of funny because Hitchcock is at the center of like the birth of auteur theory mm-hmm. for you know, you know who mostly... gets
0: into that in a really interesting way is have you read uh william goldman adventures in yeah. screen trade mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah
1: you know like as a writer i definitely love uh how directors get uh praise and uh, love and everything yeah Great as an sucks. editor
2: it's really fun to see like oh yeah like chris rock i just uh went in and i went into final cut x beep pop, poop. But,
0: but although you know i did hear i'm so sorry to interrupt it. oh please no, no it was good i i I have read that uh, Hitchcock, because he was so specific about Rebecca, he really edited in camera for this one and only shot what he wanted. That's right, which I, yes. I, I'm always so, really
2: fascinated by, because I've always heard for a lot of his other films, he shot like a ton of coverage and like, would like really experiment and put stuff together. Um, so to see him be like this specific.
1: Selznick brings Hitchcock to America, signs him to a seven year contract. And then after Rebecca, he basically just loans Hitchcock out for the extent of those seven years because they clash so hard on this movie because you're right, like, Hitchcock literally only... He storyboarded it extensively in his head and only shot it so that the only way you could edit it was the way he wanted it to. And mm-hmm. given that, at this time, Selznick was going insane, taking over Gone with the Wind, he went ballistic when he found out. So there's... I am I know that there, like, it doesn't exist, but, like, there was a significantly different Alfred Hitchcock director's cut of this movie that Selznick oversaw the reshoots of to make the movie that we have now. Um wow. hmm. And, like, the other thing that, like, makes this movie work and is so interesting is that Olivier and Fontaine uh, hated each other. They did not get along. And the reason for that was, do you guys know who was supposed to play uh, the second Mrs. De Winter? Who? Oh, who? Vivian Lee. So, oh, uh, because, like, so 19, (laughs) so a year before the thing with Hitchcock, um, Olivier and Lee, they're these two very big theater stars in London. Mm -hmm. Both are married and they're having a very public affair. So Olivier comes to Hollywood in 39 to do Wuthering Heights. So Lee moves to Hollywood for him. She signs with Myron Selznick as an agent who introduces her to David. That's how she gets gone with the wind. And then Rebecca was supposed to be like their Bogart and McCall movie, basically, but they neither of their divorces had been finalized yet. So Selznick felt like that might like that scandal, whatever you want to call it, might overshadow the movie. And he was also allegedly either having an affair with or desperate to have an affair with Joan Fontaine. So he pushed uh, Fontaine for the project. And I just want to read you this little quote from Laurence Olivier. Uh, When they called to say someone named Joan Fontaine had been given the role opposite me, I can't say I was thrilled. I'd certainly never heard of her. When I met her, what I noticed was how young and skinny she was. I didn't really understand what my character, Maxim de Winter, could see in her. As I understood Max better, I decided that she was just what he wanted, someone exactly the opposite of Rebecca. He'd had enough of Rebecca, and he was looking for docile, even wilted.
0: Like, yes i mean that's harsh I mean, it's that's mean. a and that harsh. about your co-star publicly but it's a shitty thing to say about his co-star did not, but it yeah. absolutely captures a thing that i think is really interesting about the film and yeah. book mm-hmm. again
2: sexism aside um... and you can
0: you can but i think that's very feminist yeah. i think it's it's subversive but it's it's subversive in a way that's like yeah there's a reason that this man wanted someone like the second mrs de winter who wasn't wrong like people are like oh it's she's so insecure she feels so out of place it's like no she's not crazy she's not wrong like he chose her for those specific reasons
1: yeah i i was thinking on this most recent rewatch about how they get like maxim and rebecca get married and then on their wedding night rebecca explains here's how it's gonna go i'm going to see who i want i'm gonna fuck who i want i'm gonna do whatever i want in return you will not divorce me i will make Manderly great And that Mm -hmm. the interesting thing about that to me is like, okay so who was Maxim before that? Because it seems like Rebecca kind of broke him and made him realize like, oh, all of the things that I value in life are all like I just Mm -hmm. all I value is the ability to have a woman by my side for like my big family portrait to hang in this mansion after I'm dead. And Rebecca will do that for me. Go ahead
0: oh I'm, I'm so sorry to interrupt but i was like it's so hard on zoom to get to no. social cues which i have not gotten the hang Welcome of to no, our okay. uh, yeah <laughs> but yet yet another thing is like that arrangement sounds like what most women in the 1950s were subjected to like that's the the interest or the 40s like that's the don draper shit where it's like i will make you a house and i will sleep with whoever i want this is the deal right. of being a wife it's like maxim felt emasculated by rebecca acting like a man in a marriage
1: Mm -hmm. and like that line from danvers about how rebecca would have been unstoppable if she'd been a man is reflected in the fact that maxim gets away with the you know even in like even in this movie okay he didn't murder her he did take her dead body out on a boat then drill holes in the boat sink the boat swim back to shore and then tell everyone i don't know what happened like there's foul play is still there everyone knows it and he still gets away with
0: it yeah because and it's rebecca's final revenge was trying to gone girl herself and frame him for her murder but she even rebecca couldn't overcome a society that values being a powerful man over all else
1: Mm -hmm. exactly and if i had a terminal diagnosis i'd probably try something like that on one of my enemies i don't know it seems fun yeah why
0: not he sucks
2: hypothetically of course uh, uh. <laughs> oh man well should we jump into this was a huge oscar year and i well i wouldn't we've never forgive us dana because we've never had a guest before so we're still kind of figuring out
0: what you've our... never had a guest before you're first number guess. one you're, we've you're, made you a trend <laughs> i'm genuinely flattered and apologize for talking too much and you know this actually might be a perfect opportunity for me to dip out and leave you to your oscar talk
2: well i would i would like to ask you if you have to leave absolutely i just was curious like um from reading some of your stuff if you have your own like history with like are you as big of a nerd about the oscars as we are essentially like do you put as much like st- do you put any stock into them like have you ever tried to watch a ton of them do you like I of i
0: love the idea of the oscars i have not gone to the past oscars mm-hmm but okay. I I get very into the politics and present-day gaming of it
2: okay the award show like kind of like yeah. you know, kind of race of it yeah that's a big I, thing that we're super into as well
0: I was a writer for Entertainment Weekly for a while and so I feel like I definitely have like a horse in the race in terms of like the the press and politics of it all which I find very fun mm-hmm. um, you know I think the Oscars are as a as a meritocracy is dumb but I think it's a a fun way to celebrate movies and to bring attention to, to people and films that otherwise might not receive mainstream attention. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's, so that's, that's my cool. Oscar take. There you go. Awesome. Very awesome. Well, um, do you have to go? I do. If I'm okay. so sorry. No, no, no that's, that, was, that is totally I'm glad I fine. Give, i can I, yeah. I read, I read
2: the tone in your voice and I was like, okay, I'll just like throw this under the field and then we'll go. Cause I knew you wrote for entertainment weekly. Uh, so that's, uh... Well, the,
0: the good news is I've clear. I've talked enough for uh, more than my fair share of a lot of time. So I will <laughs> it, please never invite me on again. If you want to, uh, have me not rant about, about feminist undertones. I
2: can't make that promise. Thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your schedule to join us. This has been so fun to get to chat with you and meet you.
0: What a delight. Anything to plug before you go? Uh yeah, please listen to my podcast, uh, Noble Blood, which is about historical royals, which I feel like has some spooky Rebecca vibes. Yeah, maybe. it
2: gets oh, in there. It's like a, it's a similar like stream for sure. That works great. <laughs> I find
1: it oddly funny and soothing, soothing to listen to. I don't know what that says about me, but it's a great
0: show. Colin, thank yeah. you very much.
2: Awesome, You're thank welcome. you so much for uh for joining us, Dana. Have yeah. a great night. Bye. You too. Bye, Dana. All right, Colin, let's get dorky. Let's get into the Oscars.
0: All right,
1: that was Dana Schwartz. That was great. Oh my god! You're gonna okay, put in okay. like
2: a sound effect of her like, uh, like the doom, or like her like leaving the conversation. No, or you I'm should gonna, like put. You do footsteps in f- a door slam.
1: Right. Yeah. Or, or like, uh, yeah. Like she literally walked out on us. Uh, yeah, because... gives the illusion <laughs>
2: that we can all be together. Yeah, uh, despite us so... like talking about her. Dude, tonight.
1: you're so lucky she was on this episode because I had this whole bit planned where, like, at various points through the episode, I was gonna turn off my camera and then I was gonna come back and be a character named mr roberts and i was going to pretend <laughs> to be my own uh like butler and i was going to tell you that like before you came on the show i had another podcast co-host oh, that's who funny. died and then i was going to try to like tell you to kill yourself so
2: that's funny i was she- going to try to dress like your wife uh and just be like what do you think of my new outfit colin uh how do you think i'm looking today yeah <laughs> like go and change we have podcast guests
1: uh <laughs> so The Oscars of this year, which, like, I said this earlier, but this really does feel like 1939 Part 2. Both in terms Mm -hmm. of, like, Rebecca being the second act of Selznick's, like, dominance of both the film industry and of the awards themselves. And also in terms of, like, the sheer number of great and iconic movies that we have.
2: Yeah, again, super stacked Best Picture. I even want to see the one that uh, Dana brought up because that sounded fantastic. Yeah. But it's like we're starting to, like, we have, like, ten nominees... (laughs) And we're getting to the era where you and I have now seen like minimum, like half of the things nominated. Whereas before it's like, we saw the one that won. And uh, I had, even... again, there's so much good stuff this year. It's hard to say like, yeah. maybe a uh, great dictator should have won because again, we're in a very specific year where Hitler is on the rise. And I sent you the text, but FDR is the first sitting president, uh, pun intended <laughs> to uh, radio into the uh, address uh, and address uh, and thank the uh, Hollywood and essentially give a giant middle finger to Hitler.
1: It, yeah, so Franklin uh, Roosevelt is the first president to make an appearance at the Oscars. I'm, we were talking about this today. It's not that many that, like, a president or a first lady does something involving the Oscars, but it has happened a mm-hmm. couple of times. This is the yeah. first. This is also the first year that uh, Cooper, or sorry, I guess it's Pricewaterhouse, then, the accounting firm. It will become PricewaterhouseCoopers. It will
2: become the Partners the with the House Oscars
1: fellow, to both do the counting of the ballots
2: and mm-hmm.
1: to keep the winners uh, secret until they are announced on stage. And luckily, that's been yeah. a great relationship. There have been no hiccups in it. Like, neither party have mm-hmm. made any mistakes <laughs> since then.
2: Never have we ever uh, had any uh, major errors in the formula. It's just been smooth sailing for 92 years. Um... This is the,
1: the first so this is the first year that the winners are not given to the press in advance yeah. to be published after the awards have happened. Because, because last year they those... were... Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, notably, beforehand. L.A. Times
2: uh, got him early, as everyone did. But then they released it to uh, around at the 830 edition. So people would literally walk into the Oscars and know exactly who was going to win.
1: Um. So but yeah, like just among the big hitters, we have Rebecca, which like, mm-hmm. you know, it was interesting because when the movie came out, one of the reviewers did say, like, it's very good. It's very like lavish and intense. It's probably too weird for like, you know, most viewers to take to. This was still the third highest grossing movie of 1940.
2: Yeah, that's why it's interesting to hear. This was a massive hit. Never working with Hitchcock again, because it's like, oh, he made like a critically acclaimed Uh, film, an award winning film and a huge box box office draw.
1: Well, another part of it is that like, Selznick kind of goes out on top in a way because Rebecca wins best picture. So he's got two consecutive, he becomes the first producer to have two consecutive best picture wins. And then Mm -hmm. he dissolves Selznick International Pictures. Yeah. Both because he's, completely burnt out from the last four years of doing gone with the wind and then rebecca and also probably because he was such a gambler he probably needed to dissolve it for like financial reasons so his income for a number of years is just loaning because he still has all of his contracts with his stars and talent so he's loaning them out and that's his income for a while and he does he develops notorious before he sells that movie to somebody else Mm -hmm. and he does uh, oversee spellbound and the paradigm case and to Selznick's credit, Hitchcock has always kind of hinted that Spellbound was his favorite of all the movies he ever made. Now, oh, wow. on the on the other hand, uh, <laughs> Hitchcock basically modeled the killer in Rear Window out off of David O. Selznick. That's very funny to hear. F- like, physically.
2: All I was gonna say is that when I took my nanny to go see um, the movie at the Egyptian, it was David O. Selznick's actual nine, uh, thirty-five millimeter nitrate print. Right. So it's definitely we, something that he obviously like kept. Uh, I think he definitely like thought the movie turned out well. I would imagine if he still like was keeping this even in his archives.
1: Well, it's also my understanding that that so that was a, a twenty nineteen presentation of Rebecca at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood, and to my understanding, it was presented by the Savior of Cinema, everyone.
2: Yeah, uh, it was uh, by Dana's favorite director, Christopher Nolan. (laughs) Christopher Nolan, yeah. No,
1: Christopher Nolan. I can't believe uh, I didn't
2: bring that up that he introduced the film. I feel like he introduced the film,
1: and uh, then the next year he saved cinema.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because everything – and it was smooth sailing for uh, movie theaters from there on out. But here's another – go ahead. Oh, yeah. I feel like we'll probably say the same things whenever we have some of these, but one is that I'm starting to – because I always write down, like, the date of the Oscars, but then also where it was. And we keep bouncing back and forth between the Biltmore Hotel and the Ambassador Hotel. Yeah. So we're back at the Biltmore this year. And it's still kind of... Like, I, I sent you some footage of it. It's still kind of more or less like a fancy dinner or, like, a luncheon. Like, more of it's, what the Golden Globes is. Yeah.
1: It's like. presented like an exclusive event and not, like, mm-hmm. a big spectacle meant to be viewed as entertainment.
2: Yeah. So Bob Hope is, again, he wins a special award and he's back to host uh, this year, which I it's, can't it's, think it, of... Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say I can't think of a lot of instances where a uh, host is like one or been nominated for an Oscar in that year. stands like James Franco for 127 Hours, obviously, if you can call mm-hmm. that hosting, and uh, te- uh, Seth MacFarlane for the song in Ted. But besides that, I can't think of a lot of other examples of someone hosting and winning or being nominated.
1: We'll have to see year. as we as we go through, because I yeah, yeah that's a that's a very interesting stat to have. Uh, mm-hmm. The one and we're I was see Bob Hope a lot. So. Yeah, this is the second of 19 hosts. Um, yeah. The one weird <laughs> stat I was gonna say is that. Uh, three directors nominated for Best Director this year have two movies nominated for Best Picture.
2: Wait, it, uh, for this year?
1: Yeah, so Hitchcock is nominated for Rebecca, but he also directed Foreign Correspondent, which is nominated for Best Picture. Uh, John oh, Ford wins for Grapes of Wrath, so this is yep. his second of the ultimate, like, four wins. He's the most And nom- he'll win the third
2: next year. Yeah. do the whole Frank thing.
1: So John Ford wins for Grapes of Wrath, uh, but he also has, uh, what is his yeah yeah so so john ford has grapes of wrath and the long voyage home and then sam wood has our town and kitty Foyle*. so you have three directors each with two movies in the rotation
2: oh that's interesting because we've seen that with actresses at this point where yeah. it's like they have their winning they're, they win for one movie but then they the best picture could win something entirely different even if they had two movies um but we've also seen but so, but I, we've yeah, seen directors
1: have two new movies nominated or a director oh, be sure. nominated twice yeah
2: but to have this many in one year, even though we only have like five director nominations and 10 best picture nominations, that's still pretty stacked. Yeah. Um. So that's really impressive to hear. Um, this but, is, yeah.
1: So Rebecca's nominated for 11 awards. So it's close to the gone with the wind record, but it only wins two. It wins, mm-hmm. like, as we've said, it wins picture. It wins black and white cinematography. It should yeah. win visual effects. Like dude, the, the criterion out on the visual
2: effects are crazy. It's like, Oh yeah. And it's, well, because uh, the one that won the Thief of Baghdad. Thief of Baghdad, right? a yeah, Big, big, big thank you,
1: big event thing. And it's also, so Thief of Baghdad has three wins this year, which makes it the most winning movie. So it's the first time that the movie that won the most Oscars wasn't nominated for Best Picture, which is really interesting. Right. And we're and, seeing
2: a lot of, like, the practical effects being, like like you said, like those matte paintings and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Cool. Well, The one yeah. thing that's, Oh yeah, the the
1: the visual effects in Rebecca are the kind that don't lend themselves to attention. Like it's all about like building the immersion and not making you realize that's an effect. So it's the kind of stuff that tends to go uh, unnoticed.
2: Yeah, but even if this, uh, knock on wood came out this year, uh, I'm amazed that it didn't win for production design or costume design. And now that I'm saying it out loud, do we have those categories? Yet? I have, yeah,
1: I have them all pulled up. So costume, des- it's something, it's all something wild. I think, uh...
2: Cause it seems like this would have been a shoe in for production design or like art direction, whatever they call it. Cause I think they have it like distinguished. It's like cinematography. They have like black and white art, uh, art design, and then they have like color art design, which is still kind of weird to me.
1: Thief of Baghdad also wins for art direction. Mm -hmm. and do
2: do we have costumes yet uh i don't think so i think they kind of like build it all into one and again it's still weird to me that they differentiate color in uh black and white
1: it's just because it's different it's different art forms like Technicolor, basically if you were shooting in color you were shooting on technicolor so that meant Mm -hmm. that like you had to have technicolor special technicians on set running the camera so it was all. It was. It's almost. Oh a different no! Not kind for
2: cinematography. Uh, that I kind of get. For I'm looking on. Uh, on my notes and art. Best art direction. They have a black and white category for art direction, and they have a color category for art direction. Oh, so,
1: I. Oh my God! I, I totally missed that. Yeah, and then. According to this, it, yeah, Pride it and prejudice
2: wins against Rebecca for black and white. But then, yeah, Fita Baghdad uh, wins uh, for color, and that's we're the one that's because As you were going, I was like, did they paint shit green or something to make it pop? Like, what's the difference? Uh, I don't know. Uh, that that's kind of interesting to me. And also that we have, uh, on average, like, it's funny when we started the Oscars, like, every category had, like, two, maybe three nominations. There's one that has, there's 17 nominations for Best Original Score, not counting the other nine movies not nominated for Best Score. It's like, we're just seeing everything, like, there anybody that could be nominated is nominated, like, across the board in so many of these categories.
1: It's an oddly unwieldy list of nominees, like, that just feels like it kind of needs to be... Worked down, which, like, we are very close <laughs> to the general, like, five nominees and everything. But, mm. uh, I what like else by the we 50s, we'll say?
2: still we'll see things kind of like even out with yeah. like having like generally like five nominations in each category. Oh, so Rebecca
1: is the last movie to win Best Picture without also winning an award for uh, acting, writing, or directing, like, at least in one of those categories. Interesting. Every best picture from now on will it win at least for writing, directing, or acting, or some combination.
2: Wow. That's really, yeah. I had never even, because cons- I thought you were just going to say directing. I was like, well, that's not true. But then it's like, that makes a lot of sense that those all the other ones have at minimum one of those other ones. You, yeah. Parasite won for script, right?
1: Parasite won uh, script and direct.
2: Yeah. Oh, Datoy. Yeah, of course it won direct. It did. Yeah, because I was like trying to think, even... like, they, they didn't uh nominate any of the actors because racist. But um What are you talking yeah, no, about? That, that makes sense. The
1: Green Book came out the year before. It solved racism. <laughs> like it was clearly a merit-based decision not
2: to not We did it. Any of
1: that cast. We we did
2: it. You know, the yeah.
1: Oscars have solved racism. Uh
2: Oh my gosh. We haven't talked about the Minari thing with like the Golden Globes, like make uh, calling it a foreign film. Right? I, yeah,
1: you know, I was wondering like how we needed to start working that in because like we are now in the period where like big Oscar like an award season news is coming out. So I want like should yeah. we talk about that like at the start of an episode? Should we save it for like this point? I like, think we'll do, do a think?
2: special episode that is like when they release the nominees, like that day. You and I will talk. We about should. It
1: yeah, we'll do we'll out. do a bonus one then. I think. Yeah, because it's. But like, that is
2: right. That might be too much of a tangent for this episode, but that obviously had its day of uproar. From Did it's you, not yeah. a foreign film; it's, a, it's an American film.
1: Yeah. Did you see that? Um. Uh. The SAG Awards had to move because of the Grammys.
2: No, like physically move. No, like they the, moved move move their their air, their air date. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I mean, everything's getting pushed because of COVID. But we yeah, can but listen it was like. The, a song.
1: But it's like the Grammys, like, kind of muscled onto the SAG Awards night, and we're like, we're doing oh, the Grammys. Wow. They didn't. SAG had to kind of blink and
2: move. I wonder if that's going to fuck up the rest of the I mean, again, this is such a weird year for the award circuit. But like if that kind of like if that becomes before or after another one, then it's like, oh, you're the Iowa now. Now you're like the big one that we're watching.
1: Independent Spirit Awards is still committed to being the Saturday before the Oscars as normal. Mm -hmm. That that news came out today. Uh, What else? Oh, so United Artists, uh, which co-produces Rebecca with Selznick, is the Mm -hmm. last of the original film studios to win a Best Picture Oscar.
2: Oh, wow. And And, that's really interesting. Kind of wild. Yeah. uh, um, yeah one other uh well another thing is like because you had pointed out with like the short we haven't been like talking about the short animated because it's always been like just disney like running no the andy
1: i want to talk about this like I, okay, oh good, my god cause i, I watched the short hole. that won and oh, i just did? have so
2: many questions yeah okay you it's fucking bananas you
1: tell me about it and then like do you know anything about the guys that made it
2: i don't know about the guys that made it, but i have theories now that i've seen this fucking weird short okay so um, the short
1: is what is the short
2: called So the short is called uh milky way and it's basically uh, these cats that take a balloon ride basket up into space. And then there's all these like it's like watching like Pink Floyd's the wall. It's all, like all these like milk nipple uh, like hills like exploding milk and like these buttery waterfalls. And it's just like this hugely like trivial, like, very psychedelic thing. And then, of course, as Biggie said, it was all a dream. Um, but it's just like it was MGM, and Disney isn't even nominated for a short this year. No, th- because they're going into features with like Pinocchio, which wins through this year. But still, that was very surprised they didn't even have like anything in the in the pot this year after like, again, running it for like the last like eight, nine uh, or eight seven or eight years.
1: Right. So this is th- this is the first year since the establishment of the short. Th- the sh- the <laughs> this is the first year since the establishment of the cartoon short subject movie. That Walt Disney does not win. He does not even have one, uh, like nominated, which to me says they yep. probably didn't make one because yeah, like they're moving more into feature direction. Pinocchio It'll wins. Pinocchio, yeah, yeah, it wins original score and original song for When You Wish Upon a Star, uh, which makes right. it the first animated movie to win an Oscar in competition because Snow White had won honorary right. Oscars, which like mm-hmm. it had never won over other things. But so this movie, this short film, The Milky Way. It's made yeah. by this guy named uh, Rudolph Ising,
2: who okay,
1: he and oh god, I had you know no, I wrote all this down. Why am I looking online? I had all of this written down. This is so bonkers. So, uh, him and a guy named Hugh Harmon, they come up with Disney, like they they're. They first worked with Disney, um, I think in like Kansas City or whatever it was where Disney got started. They moved to Hollywood with Disney. They want to have their own outfit. They can't make it. So they end up working for Disney as animators. They are largely credited with developing a lot of the animation style that is associated with Disney at that time through like the Silly Symphonies and such. Mm-hmm. Um, around the late 30s, when Disney's producing partner Charles Mintz breaks, they leave. Uh, and go work for Universal because Disney famously uh, doesn't own the rights to his original character, Oswald the Rabbit, Universal. So as Disney is mm-hmm. becoming his own powerhouse, Universal is still making Oswald the Rabbit. Isaac and Harmon were very uh, integral to that character. So they went and kind of just kept doing that um, with Universal. And then Universal starts establishing their own animation department. They kick these guys out. So then they basically are responsible for establishing the animation departments at both Warner Brothers and MGM. Mm-hmm. And while they're at Warner Brothers, when they go to Warner Brothers, um, they go to Warner Brothers, they get teamed with uh, Leon Schlesinger, who says, I want to take a character you guys have made and I want to put it into this new series of cartoons I've invented. They're called Looney Tunes. Oh, wow. So these guys were kind of integral both to the creation of like Disney style of animation and of Warner Mm -hmm. Brothers Looney Tunes. And then they eventually kind of make their own studio after they like get, because like they'll, they go to Warner brothers, they build up the animation department. Warner brothers starts not uh, dealing with them in terms of their budgetary demand. So they leave, they go to MGM, they do the exact same thing. They make this movie Milky way for MGM. And then the same thing happens and they make uh Harmon uh, productions, I think, or something like that. But like, it's just mm. such a weird thing to consider, like how, just massively influential these two guys whose names no one knows are yeah to like modern well, in- to animation
2: well it's interesting because mgm had another film that was not a uh, short film animated short film that was nominated in this category that was also cat themed and it was directed by one hannah and barbara huh. uh and it was uh called puss gets the boot which is the first tom and jerry short
1: Oh, i was gonna guess it was the first of the puss and boots truly but yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly
2: of the first like they had antonio Banderas, uh uh his great great yeah and i and we've talked um, about that how
1: tom and jerry kind of do have a bit of an oscar run over the next couple of years in their short
2: exact they kind of yeah this was the first one but then eventually they do start kind of to run it and like have a, the. I, I think we said how many years they went in a row i want to say it was like six or seven it's or a lot like yeah
1: after disney gets out of the short game uh like yeah. tom and jerry are the next biggest like property uh mm-hmm. to win
2: that's interesting i'm curious to see like as we start getting to that if like disney starts to muscle back into that or if they've kind of like well, decided like we're sticking to animated features at this point well, and I'm then like com- the yeah. newsreel of it all kind of goes away
1: i'm stealing a little bit i mean we'll get into this next episode but next year the um the fleischer superman shorts are nominated oh,
2: which, wow! Like, okay, is
1: so nice to hear after like how for the last 10 years what comic
2: book movies actually getting like you've some had, had comic Oscars? book
1: fans just like fucking jacking themselves off over with rage of like the academy doesn't respect superhero movies and it's like motherfucker 1941 they were yeah. nominating
2: superman that's said like, only nominating still didn't win
1: uh, god i just like <laughs> and it, i i it's just i Ugh, I just, I read that and I, I could not believe it. Cause it's like, of course, superheroes have much more of like a distinguished history with the Oscars than people would have, you believe,
2: you know? Exactly. Like comedy and comic books, man. Like we're, we'll, we'll talk about a lot of it for sure. Um, um, but- so
1: this is the year where they officially split the best screenplay into two categories, thus creating three writing categories. We have original mm-hmm. screenplay, screenplay, which like even uh, presumably means adapted screenplay. And original story. Oh, I thought we had that in previous years. No, this is the... So, previous years, we'd had the two. It was best screenplay and best story.
2: Oh, I see. Okay. Now,
1: they've split just the screenplay category between original and uh, adapted material. Whereas story still exists in its weird kind of, like, I don't know, purgatory of, like, what does this actually mean?
2: And yet we still have best original score and best score, which I still don't totally. I know you explained it to me like in two different episodes. I still to- totally understand the difference.
1: I I explained it to you and I still don't totally understand it. I, <laughs> I see that our buddy Alfred Newman is still here in the best scoring winning. Um, yeah, I, I think it's uh, anything. I think it's like if you it's like sampling, right? Like if you sample too much of like pre-existing material that takes away that makes it a best score and not a best original
2: score. Right um well i think also this is the year where walter Brennan becomes the first performer for or the first actor to win three oscars for uh, just the acting category yes i think he had one supporting and then two lead i'm probably wrong on that um but obviously this is a record that we'll eventually see broken again uh by uh mr daniel day um and i feel like probably someone else no, has not gotten not... the wait a, a how, how,
1: how many oscars does is... Brennan Walter has-
2: Brennan becomes the first performer to win three Oscars for acting. Uh, yeah, but and I'm D- not sure if that includes DDL. Uh, uh, only has no. three though, right? Yeah, but Walter Brennan become uh, does as well, so he okay. uh, ties him. I guess. But Catherine Hepburn. Well, has but I don't four. know if Walter Brennan has them all for lead acting, or if they're he has a supporting one in there because all of Daniel Day's are lead ones. Right.
1: Okay. Interesting. No, so mm-hmm. it's all three support for.
2: Oh, interesting. Oh, well, so it is like it's they they're each the yeah president vice president
1: very interesting
2: uh... that is so funny um uh, yeah good yeah good year for the Oscars it's definitely one where I'm glad the film that won won. uh I'm a little surprised that it didn't go to like one of the more crowd pleaser ones or again uh one of the more topical ones like a uh, great dictator but again like this is yeah it's one of the best films ever made so I I totally see why it's the one thing that's weird to me is legacy and obviously this is fleeting but like we were talking about it's like you can't stream or really rent this movie digitally right now and it's uh, so strange rebecca? to me that you can't really yeah that you can't really I it's have, not a super easy one to access I, if you, unless you want to buy it i
1: have to imagine that's a criterion collection because the two mm. movies that you cannot rent that alfred hitchcock made right now are notorious and rebecca both of which have criterion collection like i wanted to show harry bush okay. uh notorious over the summer and i had to buy the criterion collection like i know my life is so hard but right. I, I have to imagine that has something to do with
2: okay well i hope they change that at some point because again it's just like well that's a whole other big uh conversation about where cinema is going right now especially you know being in a quarantine for the last uh however long and people are primarily streaming or renting their content uh and it's like if they want to see like the good one after watching the bad one that we spent so much time talking about they really can't unless they want to like double down and like buy a 20 dollars dvd which as we know most people won't
1: do you want me to blow your mind please i would not give rebecca best picture this year
2: that's i kind of get i honestly like i you'd kind of like hinted at that at the start of the conversation and i kind of like what what would you do like philadelphia the philadelphia story story. like i i I, I watched that for
1: the first time uh this month i loved it and it just like it's like kind of like it happened one night where like that's such a lightning in the bottle just like incredible incredible movie i love the kind of like comeback tale for george kukor where like after Selznick mm-hmm. fires him off, gone with a win, he goes and makes this and then has this big Oscar player. Like, my only issue with Philadelphia Story, because Philadelphia Story wins, uh, it, it wins- Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart Best Actors and Screenplay. The mm-hmm. one thing I would change is, I would, I can't believe Cary Grant's not even nominated for that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Oh, really? That's an, He's I not nominated at like all. Both
1: it must be a thing where it's like they only wanted to run one person and James Stewart just had this rising star. And I think Grant is- Yeah. I think Grant win. does he win next year? Because- uh next year, so here's the other interesting thing i guess is um no he doesn't win next year he is nominated but for a different but uh so like obviously two pow- three major performances in rebecca joan fontaine laurence olivier uh and judith anderson who all three are mm-hmm. incredible and judith anderson is definitely the one if like i had to re- award one it would be hers I do find it interesting that neither Fontaine nor Olivier won, especially where like Olivier is kind of just on this like dominant run as an actor. He was nominated yeah. the year before for Wuthering Heights. He's nominated this year for Rebecca. He's just going to be this presence at the Oscars. And yet the only time he wins best actors is for the movies that he directs.
2: Exactly. Well, I mean, cause again, we're going to see him dominate with uh, Hamlet in like a couple of years. So uh, we're, yeah. Soon. So 10
1: years from now, he uh, directs, hamlet which he wins the best actor for and best director so he wins three oscars for him best picture mm. director actor joan fontaine is going to win next year for suspicion which have you seen that
2: no i don't think so
1: it's the shitty version of rebecca it's um <laughs> it's like so it, it's her and Cary grant and the roles are kind of reversed where she's the wealthy heiress and he's the like charming but broke kind of like schlub guy they get married mm-hmm. and then she becomes more and more paranoid that he's trying to murder her based on like all of these weird coincidences that keep happening. And then in oh, the wow. climax, she is like running from him because she thinks he's trying to kill her. And then it's like, Oh no, stupid woman. I was trying to kill myself. <laughs> right. You're so dumb for thinking that your husband might be trying to murder you. Ha <laughs> ha. It's, I mean, I don't know. It's not Hitchcock's best, but best. Joan it's, Fontaine it's, it's, wins that. for that movie, which makes her the only actor to win an Oscar for a Hitchcock.
2: Oh wow! I would have guessed that. Like, uh, no, I guess Jimmy Stewart wouldn't have won for uh, uh, Vertigo. But, oh, sorry, uh, you I mean guess that makes a lot. Of you stress.
1: mean Sight and Sound's best movie of all time. <laughs> I showed. Um, I I watched it with with. Oh, I Gary know she Bosch. hated it. Right? She did not like it. I also yeah. don't really like that movie. I feel like I don't know. It makes it just makes me feel gross because it's that thing of like I feel like making a misogynist movie that is self-aware and it's misogynism does not Mm. like excuse you
2: and then it's an issue because he's literally trying to like mask this new woman as his like dead wife it's Uh, just like like, there's like an almost weird like double billy kind of thing with rebecca but it is one that i saw like in 70 millimeter on the big screen i gotta say like the it's it's really cheesy to say but it is like that's one of those it's like it's it's pretty incredible to watch that sniper scene uh in 70 I, I don't know if it would like redeem the movie. I don't think any of that stuff is ever good enough to like say like it's only good if you watch it this way. But it definitely helps. In Wait,
1: opinion. there's a sniper scene in Vertigo.
2: Oh yeah, well like, like the thing where he's on the clock tower, right? Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Does he have a gun? I I thought the whole thing was he had a gun. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm th- I might be thinking of the thing from this like the Simpsons parody where how like Flanders is like doing it and he is. Yeah, I don't think he. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's in the
1: movie Vertigo, Andy
2: that's so funny well no it's like they do it on the simpsons and it's like doing the thing where wait am i thinking yeah it's the thing where jimmy stewart has like the uh triple like fantasy where he's like going up the clock tower
1: well that's a well it's a bell tower number one Uh, uh, but yeah but he doesn't have a gun
2: okay then i'm thinking of the simpsons parody for that okay i'm gonna watch that and see what's
1: going on because that you just threw me for a loop. I don't know what You that should. Means.
2: It's it's Homer it's, it's it's Flanders being on top of the bill or the what's the correct one? Clock tower.
1: Bell tower. Goddamn bell tower. Motherfucker. Got
2: have a bell. <laughs> on top of the bell tower where he's like got a sniper rifle and he's just shooting at a bunch of different Homer Simpsons. And that I will say I've seen that scene infinitely more times than I have seen vertigo in my life. So that's probably why I got it confused. And that's I something I watch on television. So what do I do? I just Uh-oh. I showed
1: I showed her Vertigo and then I was like, hey, you want to know something? People regard this as the best movie ever made. It be it <laughs> it took out Citizen Kane in 2012, and we all talk even about like it.
2: Hitchcock's best movie is like it's. I don't know if I'd even put it in my top five. I would
1: definitely movie. not put it in my top five. I mean, like it's in the middle. Like it is weird because it's in the middle of that dominant run he had in
2: the 50s, where it's mm-hmm. like I think you know
1: Hitchcock just because of like the sheer run of Rear Window. Vertigo, North by Northwest, Man Who Wasn't There, Psycho. Like, doing those in consecutive years is just, like, that's a god-tier, like, run, regardless yeah. of what you think of those movies. But I do feel like it leads people to maybe not give as much reverence to his 40s movies like this, his 30s movies like uh, 39 Steps, and his 60s movies like uh, The Torn Curtain, all of which I think yeah. are very, very good.
2: Even his 20s movies like The Lodger and, like, like you were saying some of the silent films. But, uh, I don't love um, Lodger's... I mean, you don't like The Lodger?
1: I just... I recognize the importance of it for its time, but I could, I, I, oh, I, interesting. Had, I had, had kind of so a wings thing with
2: it control. where it's like, I appreciate it. It's, it's tough watching silent films these days, but it's like, I see a lot of the kind of like M style kind of stuff that he's doing with it with framing. Um, no, it's, it's like definitely thing...
1: an uh, influential movie. I just don't get any joy out of watching.
2: That's fair. <laughs> well, the one thing I wanted to talk about is like, we've was, we haven't seen a ton of it yet, but we're going to see a lot of it of like, I'll call them like political best picture winners yeah movies that kind of try to reflect the times um which of course we saw i would argue a bit in the trump administration and with like some of the other films that we've seen recently uh that i think like probably won best picture for reasons other than it's a good movie and i don't think it's necessarily his best movie or even the best movie that was this year but part of me really kind of wishes that we had seen the great dictator win best picture just to make kind of more of this statement that uh, uh fdr was also making at the award ceremony Uh, But I also, like, I just like the idea of Hitler being pissed off at something uh, and, like, having to read a newspaper of, like, a a clown making fun of him winning this prestigious award. Um, So there's a little part of me that kind of wishes that this had been the one for Chaplin to uh, get to have some sort of... I
1: I mean, that's my same thing where it's, like, my my love of Rebecca isn't affected by it winning Best Picture. I think it's a very interesting Mm -hmm. Best Picture win, especially given that it's the only Alfred Hitchcock movie to win Best Picture. That seems crazy, but... Yeah, it's like, especially in the context of the time, great. Like, I mean, Philadelphia story just for being both a masterpiece and also like a movie that represents yeah. everything I'm, that I'm, the I'm Osc-
2: here for, like, comedy's winning Best right, Picture. Yeah, There's it's never like, going to be a complaint. It just me.
1: represents everything the Oscars don't really reward. Uh, mm-hmm. But so another Best Picture winner this year, though, Foreign Correspondent, is the first movie to make Nazis and Hitler an active part of their story because it's about a guy that undercovers a Nazi spy ring. And it was like this, Okay, I haven't seen it. Uh, The book that I recently read uh, talked about it a lot because it was kind of like after like, you know, dozens and dozens of attempts at making a movie about the Nazis that ultimately got Mm. shot down by the studios or by the German consulate in LA for being unflattering to Nazis. Foreign correspondent was the one that finally squeaked into existence just because by 1940, like, It was kind. The writing was on the wall. American movies weren't really playing in Germany anymore. Like there was nothing really to lose by being nice. But Mm -hmm. my understanding is that it's kind of a middling uh, effort in comparison to movies like movies that could have been done. Right. Um. But yeah, it's like I definitely see that. You know, we're a couple years off from Casablanca, which is a very political movie, and Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, like part of the reason Rebecca exists is because Hitchcock. Uh, wanted to get his family out of uh, Europe,
2: yeah, but he- that other Hitler, it's it's not like an Emil Zola kind of thing of it, right? Like, or do they actually really like tackle? No, it's like, about the, a, it's about a guy. Non-Hydolf?
1: It's about a newspaper guy who is concerned about uh, Adolf Hitler and Nazism and undercovers a Nazi spy ring and works oh to wow. A, I think it's based on a true story
2: and that was nominated this year as well. For
1: best picture, yeah, it's another Hitchcock.
2: That's really interesting because it, that's it's curious to me that they didn't, with all of this stuff going on, try to go for more of the uh the political like stance of a film but Mm -hmm. maybe those two like kind of canceled each other out or something well it's all but
1: it's also like i mean great like foreign correspondent is i mean it's a thriller right it's political Mm -hmm. it's it's political in that it has nazis as bad guys it's not political in that it has guys saying the nazis are wrong and here's the reason why like it doesn't it exists still to be a piece of entertainment it just uses modern trappings to like set its story
2: Oh, but again, like Inglorious Bastards, which was like uh, like nominated for maybe the most of any of Tarantino's movies. I Don't quote me on that. But it's also like it's one that won a ton. Uh, it's like we can absolutely see it from a piece of entertainment making a statement even, you know, 80 years after it happened. But Inglorious Bastards um, makes
1: that statement much more explicitly than something like Four Enforcement. Of course.
2: But I'm just saying there's more to it than just that. Like there's an entertainment factor to it. Exactly. Uh, and it sounds like with this one, there's something more to that. And then Great Dictator exists solely to like poke fun at the beast. Um, which, again, like, I don't know, like, the the comedy nerd fan of me and the political junkie in me kind of is like, that might have been the better choice for this year. But it's hard to say because I, I can't imagine a movie beating Rebecca on my ranking list for a while, if ever. Like, it is truly. We like do have
1: Casablanca in three episodes.
2: That's true, but it's like, there's like a schmaltziness to uh Casablanca that kind of, like, uh creeps on me every time I rewatch it. Uh, But again, it's another one of those I've seen, like, uh, on the big screen. Uh no Both bro i watched it and it's, we watched it again last beautiful.
1: week and it's it holds up so
2: well it's oh really so good. i'm excited because oh, yeah. it's it's one of those that's always like you just feel the entertainment and aesthetic of it all and that's is that the one that's after how green was my valley
1: no we have mrs miniver the... first mrs. and then that's right movie. have you seen mrs miniver
2: no that's oh on my, my list god it's so
1: oh i cannot Oh my God! Don't
2: don't tell me if it's good or bad. I want to okay. kind of like go. I in will not see. tell you I what I think of like, Mrs.
1: Miniver, but that's going to be a really fun episode. With all these episode. movies,
2: I always try to go in and not even like look you up on Letterbox to see like what you thought of it. I want to like go okay. in blank, but I'm very. I'll stop posting my reviews sure.
1: then, just just for you, because I love you. No, um,
2: don't do that. I tried to do the thing where I I delayed mine, but it's like I I don't know. I, my memory is so fleeting as it is. I keep writing them. I'll just uh, I, I think I you blocked anyway, so that's probably fine. I um,
1: as you should. But. um, yeah, I. The only other thing I really want to point out about this uh, this year with the Oscars is that it only uh, wins and is nominated for one award, but you have uh, a 1940 adaptation of Pride and Prejudice where Laurence Olivier mm-hmm. plays Mr. Darcy. And I think it's very interesting because after this, they do not make Pride and Prejudice as a feature film until the 2005 Keira Knightley one. No. Yeah. I, well but no, they, they make really? a million miniseries. Like, Andy- Okay, like, that's what it yeah, is. It's, I was
2: going to say, like, my wife loves, like, I actually like for Christmas one year, my wife was like really into this one specific BBC miniseries, and I thought I'd like dug and found it, and then I'd got the wrong one. There's so many adaptations. They make it. a. They I always assume yeah. there were at least a couple theatrical though. That's uh, so interesting.
1: Not since 1940, they, but they do make one like every 12 years or so. It's like the it's like the Olympics mm-hmm. or something. Like it's legally required. We must adapt Pride and Prejudice now. But from That's 1940, what I was to say. To the, it seems yeah. like.
2: Yeah, one of those James Bondy like long running like things that we just in two thousand four.
1: There's a Bollywood production of the movie called *Bride and Prejudice*, but other than that, it's the nineteen forty one, the two thousand four one, and the two thousand five one, which also like wow. is gonna be in the Oscars that year because it uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, it's nominated for score, which it's a, it's one of my favorite movie scores. Sure. And Akira Knightley is nominated for Best Actress, which I feel like we don't talk about enough. Talk
2: like, about enough. I yeah. feel like, because well, that's the time of, like, Pirates, so I feel like that kind of overshadows, like, a lot of what she was doing. But,
1: like, that's what it's supposed to be, right? It's, like, you have a breakout, mm-hmm. like, hit, like, Pirates, and then, like, you do the Oscar thing, and you get nominated, and, like, both she and... Yeah, jo- you're Adam
2: Driver, you're in Star Wars, and then you're, right, like, yeah. a critically acclaimed for this. And thing. you had her
1: for that year, and then you had Johnny Depp for Finding Neverland, and then, like, mm-hmm. you, they both kind of just, like, started doing other I don't know like here Knightley like it's not like she doesn't exist but like she's just I don't know
2: she's kind of just I haven't she, seen Karen Allen. she's doing her tomorrow, yeah she then. you know she
1: plays like movies that show up at the landmark every couple of years when you go to see it. like I don't I never No
2: complaints them. here because again I'm really miss going to the landmark yeah I miss <laughs> going
1: to all movie theaters it would be nice to do that
2: oh yeah but there's a specific type of like that movie where it's like it's playing at like this art house theater and that's it kind of stuff like especially like, like lamely had those that well like because I used to live at the Encino one and that's where it was like Bollywood shit, maybe this like huge movie on its like last legs, and then like these random little indies that played South by or Sundance or whatever. And it's like I miss getting to like discover that kind of stuff. Um, well, shoot, does that wrap it up for uh for Rebecca? Yeah, I mean you know shall like, we leave Mandalay?
1: We started got all the special features. Uh, all the American critics on it call it Mandalay, and that oh, you wow. know what that really uh goaded my gourd. You guys didn't watch the movie? That's not how she says it. It's literally like the one of the first words Mandalay um yeah i you know it's like we started this show to talk about like what an oscar buys you and in this case it's like we're not gonna other than miniseries because they do they did do a, like a 90s miniseries of rebecca mm-hmm. we're not gonna remake you for 80 years and then yeah. after that we can do what we-
2: i feel like there is like a uh I've, that's so much of like the Netflix thing of just like okay, well, like nobody's done it for this amount of time, so I guess we have to. And that's been so much of their programming. I mean, like, it's like a mix of that and like old timey British feel now times. Uh, I, I mean, like with so, so much of their stuff. They,
1: you know, Bridgerton is their biggest show they've launched in like two years. So like I yeah. understand their want to get like lush, like sexy period pieces on their docket, but I just mm. I can't find anything in the 2020 movie that says like someone said we have to do rebecca this way like i am passionate about doing this it just it just Mm -hmm. feels like everyone involved is going through the motions and the movie itself feels like it's made for people that have not read the book or seen the 1940
2: movie yeah well i'm glad we got to build a better version of this film uh together because i really like dana's uh, pitches i liked yours i think any of the uh female directors the three of us picked would have made a more interesting uh albeit like incredibly different version uh which again is what i would have preferred to see um but yeah i guess we'll uh we'll close the gates and we'll see you guys next week for how green was my valley yeah uh
1: thank you for listening please remember to rate review uh, subscribe we're on twitter at best pick pod um follow dana at dana schwartz with three z's you probably already do she's kind of a big deal over on the twitter uh <laughs> check out the noble blood podcast which like i don't know i don't know she'll never she'll never listen to this but like that was the weird thing where I went to the dentist like on the last day of no, like the first week of March. So it was like the literally the last thing I did before
2: Right before everything. uh,
1: The shutdown was like I went to the dentist and I and I the great had dropped the Fan and Catherine the Great show on Hulu. So I listened to Dana's Noble Blood episode on Catherine the Great and like that's kind of my last memory of the before times of just like driving back from the dentist and listening to that episode uh all, of which, which, all of which goes to say it's a good podcast if you like podcasts you should check yeah. it
2: out um i can't believe she's not on letterboxd but we are uh so no, follow me at ay film and you know try, yeah. try, try, <laughs> try to
1: find me in. if you can i won't tell you
2: yeah exactly you can find me at ay film we'll see you guys next week thank you so much yeah
1: uh l- last night i went to manderley again and now it's time to oh, next <laughs>